of everything else. We pause today to remember the most unfair thing that ever happened. The night before, he was eating with his friends. And in a mark of humility, he served them. And he bent down and began to wash their feet. And one left because he decided to betray his friend. He decided to pay off the 20 pieces of silver was more important than his friendship. He was the one they all trusted. He was a thief all along, but he was the one they put in charge of the money. And he left so that he could tell guards where Jesus would be. Jesus went with the rest of his friends into a garden. Knowing what the hours would hold, they, of course, did not, but, but he did, and he tried to tell them many times. They just didn't listen. And, and so in the garden, he just he eagerly asked them, pray. Just pray. And, and he went off by himself, only to return and to find that the very people that he had spent three years of his life with, and they'd seen miraculous things, they'd seen the blind given sight, they'd seen those who could not walk get up and walk, they'd seen the dead raised to life, they'd seen Jesus take some measly leftovers and feed thousands. And he said, just pray. And he returned to find that they were asleep. He woke them and said, watch and pray. And they fell asleep. And he woke them, watch and pray, and they fell asleep. And then the guards came, ushered in by his friend Judas. And Judas approached his friend Jesus and kissed him on the cheek kiss of betrayal. The guards went to take Jesus into custody. And at that point, his friends were bold and they said, we'll have no part in this. And one of them grabbed a sword and cut off a guard's ear. And Jesus picked it up, rebuked his disciples and healed the guard who was taking him into custody. He went before judges, and they demanded that he testify on his own behalf, but he just kept pleading the fifth. He would give no defense to their charges. 
they found no guilt in him, and they didn't really know what to do, and so they just sent him back and forth from judge to judge, and they finally decided that they would let the public decide. And they put Jesus versus the worst of criminals, Barabbas, and said to the public, you decide. They cried out, release Barabbas. Jesus was beaten. He was whipped. He'd called himself the king of the Jews, and so they took thorns and molded them into a crown. And mocking him said, you want to be the king? And they took those thorns and they forced them on his head so that the thorns dug in and ripped the flesh of his forehead open and blood poured out. He was beaten. To the point, he didn't even look human. And he was made to carry his own cross on a journey to the place where he ultimately would be crucified. And when he couldn't make it, they summoned someone from the crowd to help him. And finally they made it to the top of that hill. And they took nails and they drove them into the wrists and into the legs of Jesus so that he would hang on the cross. And there he was on a cross between two criminals. An innocent man bearing my guilt and yours. And might I suggest to you that the worst part of the cross was not the crown of thorns, was not the beating, it was not the whipping, it was not the nails being driven into his wrists and into his feet. No, the worst part of the cross was when a holy God was united with my shortcomings, with my rebellion, with my hatred. When he took on my sin. See, tonight we look back 2,000 years ago and we see that which Christ did on our behalf. But 700 years before Christ would come to this world as the God-man, Isaiah in Isaiah 53 would let us know exactly what would happen. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord 
been revealed. These questions reveal only a few would recognize the Savior. See, God, when he came, he came as a servant. And think to his birth. It wasn't in a palace. It wasn't in the finest of hotels. The hotels were full. It was on a farm where animals were kept. That is where the Savior appeared. This is reference to the world at large. Who has believed the message? This is a question for you. Have you believed? Have you believed? For he, Jesus, grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. When Christ came, he looked average. His appearance was not beautiful. He didn't have an incredible physique. He didn't show off all these talents and abilities. He was normal. And just looking at him, there would be nothing to draw you to him. His appearance was nothing special. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Christ experienced hatred. He experienced rejection. Not just on the cross, but certainly on the cross. But here is God, and he has come to redeem us. And our response was to despise him and to reject him. And he suffered not only external abuse, but also the internal grief over unbelief. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. And this is why he came. He came because of me and because of you. Because we rebelled against God. God created us, and so God gets to make all the rules. And his rules are very simply this. Be perfect. That's it. Be perfect. Here are the rules I'm giving you. Don't break them. 
And yet, we all do. We all think we know better than God. We all rebel, sometimes out of ignorance, sometimes out of arrogance, but we all rebel. The reason that he came was to carry my sin and your sin and its penalty. The cost of sin, the Bible tells us in Romans, is death. That encompasses physical death, which we'll all experience, and spiritual death. Eternity apart from God, who we were designed to have eternal fellowship with, in a place the Bible calls hell. That's the cost of our rebellion. There it is. And yet, those who saw Christ on the cross carrying the weight of my rebellion, being punished on my behalf, they thought he was being punished for what he'd done. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. And this is where grace is so not fair. Because this is divine substitution. This is God taking my sin against him upon himself so that I could be free and find peace. This is God taking the punishment for me. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. We all have sinned, but the servant has sufficiently shouldered the consequences of sin and the righteous wrath deserved by sinners. There is Jesus on the cross, and he is on the cross because of you. He is on the cross because of me, and he's taken the weight of my sin upon himself. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that was led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. He was questioned and answers were demanded from him. But he did not speak. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. He felt the betrayal of Judas, his close friend. He was sold for silver. The servant lost his life to be the substitute object of wrath in our place. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death. Although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, 
because of his death, the Jews intended to bury him with the other thieves in a disgraceful burial. But instead, he was buried with the rich in an honorable way because of the donated tomb of a secret disciple named Joseph of Arimathea. A disciple who followed Jesus but followed at a distance because he was worried about what his culture would say. And yet behind the scenes as he followed, he arranged it so that he could provide the tomb that Jesus would be laid in. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. The will of God was to kill his son not because his son deserved death, but because he loved us. So that he could be an offering for our sin. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Jesus knew exactly what needed to be done to solve our sin problem. This plan was in place before the world was formed, and on Calvary the plan was accomplished that by his one sacrifice he declared many righteous before God. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. He intercedes on our behalf. Process which began on the cross and continues now in heaven. And so today, nearly 2,000 years later, we look back on an event that 700 years before it happened was told. And we see a God who loves us so desperately and compassionately that even though we rebelled against him, he still wants a relationship with us. In spite of the mistakes that you and you and you and I have made, he still wants a relationship with you and with you and with you and with me. But the problem is God's just, and there's a penalty for our sin. And so God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the gospel. You are messed up and so am I. 
And that's where the gospel starts. It starts by you admitting it. It starts by you admitting, I have a problem. And God has a solution. And it was the death of his son who took my place and took your place so that we could live. And if that's all there was to it, we'd be in pretty bad shape. If that's all there was to it, and Jesus just died for our sin, that'd be great, but we still wouldn't really have hope because all that would show is that sin had conquered and sin had won. And so today we look back, we look back nearly 2,000 years, and we see, yes, the terrible price of our sin, and yes, the extreme cost of Jesus on that cross, paying the price for my sin. But we look back 2,000 years, and we celebrate, and we look back with hope, the same hope that was promised 700 years before Jesus went to the cross, when Isaiah 53, 12 says, Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. The dead don't intercede. Jesus is alive. And three days later, he rose again and it proved that God received his sacrifice. It proved that sin had no more power. It proved that death had been defeated. And tomorrow I have to bury a friend, but I can do so with hope as I look and I say, three years ago we talked and three years ago you told me about your hope in Jesus. And I know that as we look back 2,000 years, we see Christ on a cross. But as we look back 2,000 years, we see a victorious God who is alive and he loves us and he has redeemed us. And I'm begging you, there is a problem with you. I'm begging you. And it's called sin. And there's a solution. But see, it's not if you're good enough. Because that's never been the question. You're not. The standard's perfection. It's not what can you do to earn it. You can't. You've messed up. It's past fail. You failed. It's grace. And it's a God who loves us so much that 2,000 years ago, he was betrayed. He was abused. He was beaten. And he was cursed with my sin and with yours. And he won. And he was victorious. And that is the message of grace. God, thank you for winning. Thank you for the hope 
that we now have. Your sacrifice is incredibly costly. And yet your triumph was even greater. May we find the hope that we so desperately need through the grace your son Jesus provided. In his name we pray.